like book club meets letterbox meets greatest hits meets happy hour but all about tv every week three friends make and debate the case if a show is truly essential viewing listen for the hot takes and stay for the camaraderie i'm mallory i'm gina i'm ezra and this is the essentials this week we're doing something a little different. We're covering two shows where we believe watching them both is especially worthwhile and discussion worthy. The first, Pose, is the ongoing FX drama series about New York's underground ball culture in the late 80s and early 90s. It's streaming on Netflix in the US. Second, Legendary, is the voguing reality competition original to HBO Max. As always, a general warning about spoilers. We will be discussing everything. Does that really ruin a TV show? We don't think so. Now let's get into it and pose. <laughs> Had to. <laughs> Making television history, Pose features the largest cast of transgender actors in series regular roles, including MJ Rodriguez, Dominique Jackson, India Moore, and Angelica Ross. And... It also features the fantastic Billy Porter. Love him. Legendary is a voguing reality competition TV series exploring the world of ball culture as eight teams or houses, as they are called. They compete through nine balls to win the title of Superior House and gain $100,000. Some highlight episodes to consider if you want to start watching Pose. 101 pilot 105 mother's day and 106 love is the message and some required episodes if you'd like to watch legendary 101 welcome to my house 102 once upon a time 105 remember the times and 109 the season finale heaven and hell All right. Um, I'm really excited for this episode this week. I feel like we are talking about two really fantastic and really interesting TV shows that um, I feel like have generally flown under the radar. Mallory and Ezra, what did you two think of Pose and Legendary? Well, I have loved Pose for quite a long time. I watched the first season uh, when it was on Netflix about late last year. But I never knew about Legendary, which is why I'm going to talk the most about this week. Oh my gosh. So I love reality TV shows and I love competitions. I'm a huge American Ninja Warrior stan. Like, shout out to American Ninja Warrior, great show. And I would argue that Legendary, like, these ladies have more athleticism than any, any like, athlete on American Ninja Warrior. Like, don't at me, internet. These ladies of Legendary are fantastic, and they're strong, and they're powerful, and these flips and dips, and my gosh. Like, I, I just loved it, and I'm so happy that you told me to watch this show and recommended it. It's an amazing show. So I went into Pose knowing very little about it. I've been going about this way of viewing ever since I saw Parasite, I feel the less I know about something, the more I'm going to enjoy it. And whoa boy, no pilot has captured my heart quite like this one. 
the first 10 minutes are absolutely thrilling. I mean, my heart was racing watching the House of Abundance take the costumes from what I think was the Brooklyn Museum and wear them to the ball. Like, that was just phenomenal. And you have incredible character study from the get-go. MJ Rodriguez as Blanca, India Moore as Angel, Billy Porter as Pray Tell. The whole cast knocks it out of the park in those first, like, 60 minutes. Also, the soundtrack is fantastic. I love how they use 10 cc's, I'm not in love, and then they kind of go into Kate Bush's running up that hill. I support the use of Kate Bush in any medium, always. And as for uh, Legendary, again, my heart was racing. Uh, they were doing things with their body that I could never do. I mean, Laomi Maldonado's entrance took my breath away. That dress was fantastic. I want that dress. I kept eyeing the dress as I was watching the first episode. Um, and the show is really wonderful in terms of educating viewers who might not know a lot or anything about the ballroom scene. For example, when a house makes the house statement by showing us who they are when they come out, that's called the Grand March. I did not know that. Similarly, I also loved all of the education that is jam-packed in both of these shows. Uh, sometimes it's really explicit, as in Legendary, and then sometimes it's woven in a little bit more, though I think um, with Pose, at times I felt sometimes it was a little bit of like special episode and education bits, but um, all with such great intention and great care in the storytelling for, for both programs. Um, I love how both shows are very much sort of um, complete fantasies in some ways. It's so joyous and they highlight in very different ways the community and um, the resilience and the creativity and the artistry of um, queer and specifically black and brown trans communities. And it's um, so uplifting. And I, I just, I, I feel so great watching these shows. I have to say, both of them obviously touch on this, but the fashion in Pose and Legendary is just out of this world. Like, how do I get all these outfits? you gotta have money yeah yeah it's a fantasy that's for sure especially like in legendary like that's couture i one of my favorite parts from the pilot was when one of the house members was saying you there's no such thing as overdressing like if you want to wear wonderful clothes grocery shopping go for it and Small moments like that were just very heartwarming to me, and it just made the show absolutely delightful to watch. Yeah, like I've actually embodied that in my in my lifestyle since seeing that episode. Like I went out the other day and put on some pearls and a beautiful hat and was strutting down the street listening to the theme song for Legendary, which is a bop. <laughs> Can I tell you, you can listen to that theme song on its own, DJ Mike Q. I just need to listen to more of this DJ. 
Like, that's another thing that I thought was so interesting about both Pose and Legendary, how, like, it's not just, like, saying it, that trans lives have created everything that we know and love. Like, music, house music, hip-hop, like, dance. All of these things have originated in the ballroom culture that happened in, like, the 70s and 80s and 90s in New York City. Like, it can all be traced back to the ball scene. And I just love how, especially in Legendary, they kind of show you that connection between house music and the scene. I think even uh, to today's culture, um, this was something that I found out when doing some research uh, for this episode's prep, but Leomi Maldonado, who, who's one of the lead judges for Legendary, her, her walkout, like Ezra was saying, was so arresting. But what I didn't realize was that her tossing her hair was yeah. a reference to her... Um, spotlight stealing turn as a featured dancer in willow smith's music video whip my hair well i will say that willow learned that move from her because it's like a patented (laughs) move the laomi whips is her move introduced on america's like next greatest dance crew if you've seen that america's best dance crew yeah america's best dance crew lost what a great show from like the early aughts on mpb but r.i.p abbc she like debuted that like move. I, well, man, I can't even speak. It just is so like legendary to me that she debuted that and had such an effect on the entire scene that Willow would do a song called "With My Hair" and have her be in that video showing her how to whip her hair. Crazy, mind blowing. I'm really glad Gina suggested that we watch these two together because while Paris is burning, is nonfiction and it's obviously a a it's the reference point for a lot of people who are not familiar with this culture i do like that legendary and pose to me now are a different gateway to this culture like i've actually learned so much from watching these shows and i anticipate that i will continue to learn more as these shows continue to air yeah it it was just a wonderful experience yeah, I agree that their contemporary perspective was something I really appreciated. I think sometimes watching historical or just like older content, I am sometimes taken aback by how different uh, things were. And what makes me really glad is that we it like these two shows are just so clearly celebratory. Um, yeah, that these two shows are just so clearly celebratory. And I find it like so interesting to see the progression of the ball scene in these two shows. Like in Pose, you're seeing the beginnings of, of voguing and kind of like quaint dance moves if you are watching Legendary, where they're doing backflips and death drops and spins. And they're, and also the culture is just way more open in general. I was doing a lot of history on Pose and how at the time it was just ideal to be a femme queen. That was like the purpose of being like in the ball scene is to try to pass as much as possible. And then watching Legendary and clearly seeing some of these men who are just in drag and like they're open and accepted in the ball community. It just really like 
struck me, especially the cisgender uh, team, Team Ninja. I also thought that was like crazy because I didn't know much about ball culture and I thought that ball culture was just like purely like LBGTQ and transgender. And I didn't know that you could be cisgender and be accepted in the community. So it was just so eye-opening for Team Ninja to be welcomed and to go so far in the competition. But I, I found that so fascinating how the community has even become more open and more diverse and more welcoming um, where, from where the origin started in like the 70s and 80s. Oh yeah, like watching some of the house members say out loud, we're not here to follow the rules. In fact, we like breaking some of the rules was yes. really great to see. I was like, oh, I thought there were like set concrete rules that had to be followed. But now that we see this in the context, now that we see this in a contemporary lens, like it doesn't feel like there are rules. It's just everyone has their own interpretation. So before we even assign these shows, I decided to watch the 2020 documentary Disclosure. And it was incredibly educational and heart-wrenching because it looks at transgender depictions in film and television with leading trans thinkers and creatives from Laverne Cox to Susan Stryker. Using examples like The L Word and Boys Don't Cry, they reframe iconic characters and familiar scenes in a new light to show viewers the difference between trans representation on screen and the reality of trans lives versus society's beliefs. Mainstream representation of transgender identity at the turn of the 21st century was very limited, and the representations that did exist tended to regard transgender people as quote-unquote mentally unstable. There are even examples of cisgender characters expressing repulsion when another character is revealed to be trans. It's extreme and incredibly unnecessary, but you see it in films like The Crying Game and Ace Ventura Pet Detective. Uh, I have not seen Ace Ventura Pet Detective except to do research for this, and having seen the, uh, the reveal at the end, I will not be watching it ever because it was appalling. Even The L Word, a pioneering queer women-centric soap, has some well-documented wrongs. Trish Bendix actually explores this in her piece for the LA Times using Max Sweeney as an example. So Max Sweeney, played by Daniela C., entered The L Word in its third season with the distinction of being TV's first ever trans man series regular. And it was supposed to be this exciting development in a series made by and for the queer community but these hopes were dashed. Max is ostracized by his female friends, becomes manic and angry after taking testosterone and unwittingly conceives a child before being abandoned by his cheating boyfriend. In particular, portraying a medical trans, sorry. In particular, portraying medical transition as such a harrowing experience was devastating to trans men in the audience who'd only rarely found validation of their existence and experiences in the media. Generation Q addresses the criticism of the original's depiction. Oops. Generation Q addresses the criticism of the original show's depiction of trans men having cast trans actors Leo Shang and Brian Michael Smith. Based on the examples that Disclosure provides, I feel that Pose and Legendary are a step in the right direction, although Gina will go into this. The shows are not without their own flaws. 
We see the LGBTQ community through a careful, thoughtful lens in these shows, which proves that these depictions are evolving in an industry that has otherwise dehumanized the trans community repeatedly. I kind of wish from from what you've just said, Ezra, that I also uh, took the time to watch Disclosure before we recorded this, but um, I'm definitely going to go and watch it now. I've I've heard just really continuously heard really great things about um, how to unpack and how to revisit these kinds of depictions. And I I find it really valuable to like interrogate um, what stories we've been told about other people and what are true stories or, or like what is the reality of how those other folks live and like historically trans folks just are continuously um, abused by society and so I'm, I'm glad that um, that we seem to be trending upwards. The beauty of the documentary is the runtime is like two hours, but it's so well done that it just flies by. I mean, when the documentary was over, I was actually very disappointed because I was like, oh, I, I want to know more because they, they trace these portrayals back all the way to gross D.W. Griffith and all the way to today. So it's, they unpack a lot of history in that documentary. Yeah, I need to check that out as well. When you were like talking about the L word, I couldn't help be reminded of Nip Tuck, uh, another Ryan Murphy show where he doesn't get it quite right with uh, the one of the main characters, his son uh, attempts to transition in one of the seasons. And it was kind of, he was kind of like presented as a party trick and, people just making him feel really horrible for his decision. So I think that Ryan Murphy has somewhat tried to rectify that with Pose, since he did a really horrible job speaking to the trans experience in Nip Tuck. And I, I do also want to watch that documentary. We still have a long way to go. You're going to talk about Gina, but Orange is a New Black is... I think one of the best examples of a show that that really tried and is, did a good job. It also had many faults. I also was not a fan for its entire run, but it at least tried with the casting of Laverne Cox, which I that's like a check in, in Netflix's column for that. But it just really is upsetting to me that in 2020 we're still having these conversations about like being more inclusive and actually trying to figure out who lives, who dies, who tells your story in the words of Alexander Hamilton. <laughs> so yeah, I, I can't wait to see what else is going to happen in, in season three of Pose and season two of Legendary, but I would love to see more shows like these coming out in the future. It's not just the problem that we cast cisgender actors and actresses as trans characters, but it's also just, if you look at medical dramas and like crime serials like Law and Order, you see that there's this common storyline where the trans character just never gets a break, either 
they are murdered in a crime of passion because oh my gosh, yes. yeah. yeah. Yep, because whoever they're having an affair with finds out that, oh my god, they're actually trans, so I'm just going to kill them. And then they have to, then they use that as a jumping off point for the story. Or in like Grey's Anatomy, you have the example where the patient has to choose between either continuing their transition or stopping because for some reason the transition is causing cancer. It's just even like the depiction of trans characters has been very bad in a lot of these mainstream shows. Yeah, a hundred percent agree with you. Justice for Candace Kane's character in Dirty Sexy Money. I feel like I remember that as like the first trans character that I ever saw on TV. And I loved her acting and I loved what she was doing so much, but then I was just always so frustrated with her storyline. Um, yeah. I also, we haven't talked about it and it's not in our outline, but I kind of just remembered Are you gonna say the, the same thing that you're gonna, that I'm gonna say, Gina? Let's hear it. Okay. I think it's something. <laughs> Transparent? Danish girl. Oh. <laughs> um, I try not to think of that because it's just, uh, I, as you two know, am really ambivalent about Eddie Redmayne. Um, and I, I think like in the terms of TV, like Transparent also made such great strides in showing um, the transgender experience, but it's kind of just um, like after the fact, such a shame that um, in some ways like, um, the accusations against Jeffrey Tambor and that as a cis hetero white male, like he was the one um, at the center of that show. And I feel like that is a show that has a very complicated legacy, but it was like a big stepping stone for getting us to where we are here. Yeah, um, I always forget that show. Maybe it's because I've just tried to forget Jeffrey Tambor. <laughs> I... I obviously have such complicated feelings about it because of Jeffrey Tambor, but I do love it because it introduced me to Alexander Billings, who is fantastic in the show. And actually, Alexander Billings is, I forgot to mention earlier, her storyline was the one in Grey's Anatomy where she had to make the decision between transitioning or essentially saving her life. Which was, yeah, I, when you look back at some of these, like, shows, it's like, what were you thinking? What were the writers thinking? It's it's just bad. It's really it, bad. It's because there was no one in that room. Another, <laughs> Hamilton just in my head for some reason. No one was in the room where it happened. They didn't have, like, a trans writer on staff to say, no, 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 guys, this is problematic. And that's a whole other topic for a whole other show about who gets to tell these stories, who's invited into the room. That's a whole other series, really. Yeah. Uh, Mallory, what about the Danish girl? Um... I actually didn't see that movie, but in watching both of these shows and just doing a lot of research on Disclosure, because it's just in my queue and I've just been like Wikipediaing the hell out of it. And I re it really made me think a lot about Eddie Redmayne and why he was given like 
such praise as a cisgender male for playing this really historic figure. And it just made me think like, why does Hollywood always do this? Like, why couldn't they just have like a transgender actor? It came out in 2016, right? Like, come on, we, we can do better. But it just made me really upset. And I just started to think a lot about all these different depictions, which is why I started thinking critically about Nip Tuck, uh, Ryan Murphy, need to do better. But I was just thinking a lot about these depictions and Danish Girl just like really sticks out to me as just just a shame. And obviously I never want to like get defeatist that we're not gonna like do better with Hollywood, but sometimes I just get upset that can we not do better Hollywood? I mean it's it does it's it's funny that you bring up the Danish girl because I have the same feelings regarding boys don't cry. I mean, oh my gosh! Yeah, Hilary Swank was cast, and when she accepted her Oscar, the acceptance speech was very much like, "We did it! We hit a milestone!" And I'm like, "Stop championing bad behavior! You did you did not do well here." In a credit for internet shaming, we got Scarlett Johansson to drop a role where she was going to play a transgender man. And even more recently, we got Halle Berry to step back from doing the same thing. So, yes, go internet. Go discourse. Go Keep the optimism for Hollywood. Keep it, Gina. Keep it alive for me and Ezra. (laughs) (laughs) I think... um, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> this makes a great transition into uh, what what I wanted to talk about. Um, and in order to talk talk about that, ju- just like how we're talking about um, the the context of um, the trans community being represented, um, I want to re- rewind a little bit to 2013 to an interview where Genji Cohen, um, one of the creator, the creator and the showrunner for Netflix's Orange is the New Black, was on NPR talking with Terry Gross. And she called her main character, played by Taylor Schilling, Pipe, um, Piper Chapman, as her Trojan horse. And uh, to quote her from the interview, you're not going to go into a network and sell a show on really fascinating tales of black women and Latina women and old women and criminals. But if you take this white girl, this sort of fish out of water and you follow her in, you can then expand your world and tell all of those other stories. But it's a hard sell to just go in and try to sell those stories initially. The Girl Next Door is a very easy access point, and it's relatable for a lot of audiences and a lot of networks looking for a certain demographic. It's useful. And so I remember being really struck by that quote when when that interview came out and really taken aback by and frustrated when watching Orange is the New Black because continuously, season after season, episode after episode, like that white girl was the most boring character and had the least interesting things to say, the least interesting storylines. And, like, good for her for being the Trojan horse and helping to open the door. Um, But it was just really kind of frustrating. Um, Thankfully, though, like, like for the two shows that we're discussing today, Pose and Legendary, they were both conceived to center and followed through on centering. Um 
fascinating tales of Black and Latinx folks. But in 2018 and, and now in 2020, it still seems like networks are hung up on needing white faces or neophytes uh, to act as audience surrogates to kind of introduce people into the, the like, quote-unquote world um, of black and brown folks and, and of queer folks. And um, I think... What really stands out to me is that those audience surrogates are often the weakest links in shows like these where the existing complex communities are finally given the spotlight. And so when the unabashed queerness of the queer community gets to take center stage, like that, I feel like that's really when these um, shows really take flight. Like when you can be like as gay as you really are, essentially. Um, so, so like maybe to some folks, um, having Evan Peters and Kate Mara's white suburban domestic drama storyline in the first season of Pose, um, felt necessary. Um, in a lot of ways, their characters asked a lot of the basic questions that maybe folks who haven't had engagement or, um, exposure to the queer community have. So, so, so they asked in the show questions like how can a woman be a drag queen or um why do why do people resort to sex work uh to make a living uh but uh, kind of a spoiler in season two of pose like their their characters are not there um and their absence kind of shows how little importance or just little weight to what makes those shows great um, in in the totality, and the show is uh, a lot better with them not there. I just started season two for the first time. <laughs> way more enjoyable. I was always trying to like speed through the Kate Mara scenes because poor Kate Mara. Like I've got nothing against you as, an, as like an actor, but oh, you've had some pretty. She's had some pretty horrible roles <laughs> throughout her career. <laughs> but yeah, did not enjoy her storyline and pose. Didn't think it was necessary. So I'm glad that you are taking her to task a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> it kind of wrinkled me, wrinkled me a little bit that Kate Mara, Evan Peters, and James Vanderbeek, the three main white actors in season one, were all billed above all the other actors. That that they were the top billed actors when the core of the show was about. Um, Blanca, MJ Rodriguez's character, and pray tell Billy Porter's character. Um, and so that their names are are first and foremost for season two. It's like, yes, like Ryan Murphy continues to show us his growth. So bravo to him. Yeah. He needs to keep going. Yeah. <laughs> um, when it comes to Legendary, I think the audience surrogate um, like the function of, of that role is a little bit different, um, especially since Legendary is just such a differently formatted show. It's a, it's a reality competition show. And we actually see an audience on stage as part of the show. You get a lot of energy from um, the cutaway shots to people's reactions, to people gasping and to people cheering. Um, but there was some controversy even before the show began with kind of a poorly worded press release. Um, I'm not going to get into the nitty gritty of that. It's, it's been pretty extensively covered on the internet. But the long and short of it was that some of the um, 
lead judges of this show are relative neophytes to the um, world of underground ballroom. And it was... Um, it was assessed... Oh, no, sorry. <laughs> okay. Um, <clears throat> okay. Uh, okay. Uh, the long and short of it was that host and actress Jamila Jamil was announced as a judge of the show alongside rapper Megan Thee Stallion, celebrity stylist Law Roach, and ballroom legend Naomi Maldonado. That Jamil, Megan, and Roach were, to quote Jamil herself, uh, not from ballroom, drew a lot of criticism, but Jamil argued that that was to the show's credit and would make the show better. Uh, and that also they'd, quote, bring their followings, press, and new audiences to the show to support and celebrate the ball community. Um, throughout the nine episodes, then, there are many moments where Jamil and occasionally Megan um, ask questions or get clarifications from fellow Judge Laomi or from the show's host and MC Deshaun Wesley, on um, how ballroom categories or terms um, are supposed to be executed for the different challenges. And at those moments, it just seems a little bit off because, like, they're supposed to be judges. And if they're not experts, then, like, why are they judging? And, and it, you know, it is kind of like, oh, they're, they're celebrity and they're clout and all of that. But it is um, the... You just don't really trust their judgment necessarily then because it's so subjective. Whereas every time Laomi opens her mouth, you were like, yes, like that, that critique is so on point and I trust you. And you could probably just stand up and outdance everyone. Um, and, and I love like the episode in Electra is the guest judge. Cause yes. uh, that, that was just amazing. Cause she kind of puts uh, La Roach in his place. I don't know if you're going to get into it, but the like percentage of guest hosts who, who are from ballroom versus not from ballroom was quite low. I would say 1% of the guests were from the ballroom scene. <laughs> it was really disappointing. Yes. Yeah. So like to the show's credit, um, they don't linger on the judges out, um, in terms of runtime and, and it uses a lot of the hour um, to, to really tell the stories of the contestants. And I, I really love getting to know the contestants and understanding their relationship to their houses and um, to their dance in, in such a deep way. Um, but my hopes are for both Legendary and for Pose as they continue to evolve, that they continue to just sort of jettison those kinds of audience surrogates and uh, continue focusing more on um, the communities as they are, because those are the most interesting and uh, most true true um, depictions. Um, like, like, we don't need a surrogate. Um, and, and it's really, um, and, and by removing in-show observers, the shows shift from framing the black and brown queer people on stage from being observed to having their own agencies and having that center and that power to tell their own stories. 
Yeah, you said it beautifully. I I just like I understand like where HBO Max is coming from. I get it. This they're taking a chance. They want to make sure they have as many viewers as they can. They want to like tap into the social audiences of like Megan Thee Stallion and like Jamila and by extension James Blake. Love James Blake, but we all know that wherever Jamila goes, James Blake will follow. But it's just. They, they did that and they didn't take a chance on the audience. So the audience was smart enough to go out on their own to do the research. They dumbed it down. And every single time that Jamila spoke, I was upset, like literally, because she was like, what, so you mean this? What do you mean by old way? And it's just like, let Deshaun just host by himself. He was a joy to watch. And it also made me feel really happy to find out that he was also uh, in the ballroom scene uh, in like the ninth episode when when he and Naomi do that amazing dance number in the beginning. Like he's got the moves. And there's this like amazing Q&A that Vulture did with him recently. And here he is like an amazing dancer just saying that these like men and women on stage were upstaging him and he's so happy to be out of the scene because his knees couldn't take it. And I just wish that we had more of him. And I really sincerely hope that season two, we have him as the sole host. I don't like Billy Porter didn't have some like white cisgender lady being like co-host and pose. Like Brian Murphy didn't write in that type of character to his credit. So why do we need that on a reality TV show that's supposed to be, quote unquote, real life? I love hearing what you guys have to say about Legendary, because I I just started a couple of days ago. So now I'm going to watch it knowing how you guys feel about it. And it's definitely going to make it a much better experience. I'm kind of jealous that like you have all the episodes to stay up for you. I hoovered up the first two episodes as soon as they dropped, and I had falsely believed uh, that that they were dropping the whole season at once. And when I couldn't click through to the third episode, Ooh. I screamed inside. Wait, what? I appreciate it. So, so they didn't drop. They only dropped the first two episodes, and then they rolled it out weekly over the course of like six weeks. Oh and gosh. so every single Thursday when it when it came on, like it was the first thing I turned on in the morning. It was like like I just turn on a legendary and like heat up my breakfast and I'd just get tired <laughs> watching them dance their heart out. <laughs> I didn't know that because like I also like Ezra have it all laid out in front of me. So I watched like six episodes in a night. Like so good. I so I'm going through it much. Sl- I'm going through it slower because I find myself rewinding it a lot because I just want to watch the movements again. It's it's breathtaking. I and I love rewinding it to watch the judges' reactions because sometimes I miss it. So I'm like, oh wait, how did everyone feel about this? Who did I miss? And it just makes it that much more entertaining for me and coming from a production standpoint I really love that they cut between full color and black and white because then it feels like it's a reality show that's meshed 
with documentary and it's it just feels really great that way it it feels like two different experiences but they work together so well it also has that like awesome America's Next Top Model feel and that they've got like the coach and they're like, tell me about your skit and your routine. Like, what are you working on this week? And they're going into like the the like wardrobe closet and with this amazing uh, fashion stylist whose hat to gather. <laughs> I loved his hat and probably butchering uh, his little meme that he's trying to do, but I, I just loved that aspect. Like it was hardcore reality TV, but to your point, also docudrama. Yeah, I think by introducing that documentary element, I think what makes it so unique from other reality TV is that you're rooting for everyone. Like I, I'm obviously very early on, but there is no like enemy. There's not someone that you're like, oh God, I don't like them. At least in my experience, I haven't obviously seen more of the episodes yet, but it's just, everyone's story is just wonderful. And it's, it's great character study. And you get to meet all these people who've, who've come from different backgrounds and you see how they use their backgrounds and interpret it into their work, into their fashion and what houses mean for these people who've been essentially ostracized by their original communities back home based on how they want to live their lives. And it's just, I don't know, it's just really great. It's really educational and makes me see Pose in a different way. I mean, watching, yeah. I cried a lot because I was just like, these stories are just so human and you just love these characters from the beginning. You just want to give them like a hug because they're just, such wonderful people and I cannot wait to see what happens in both shows especially Pose it's I'm not I it sounds like I'm exaggerating how wonderful the pilot is but for everyone listening if you want to see a fantastic fucking pilot you watch the Pose pilot everything a TV show should do right in that first episode they do. Oh my God, I wish I wrote it. I wish I was in that writer's room. They are so good. Ezra, your like joy is just so- It's radiating. Yeah, like you are literally glowing and it just makes me happy. And I agree, the pilot of Pose is like some of the best 60 minutes of television that I've ever seen. Sorry, West Wing, but- (laughs) absolutely beautiful and legendary legendary i cried like every single episode and like zach would come outside and i'm just sobbing he's like look at the backflip that she did in stripper heels she crawled up a wall (laughs) like oh man such great shows so like hats off to you gina for recommending that we do this episode that we watched both of these shows and also introduced me to legendary because i completely missed it like completely missed it thank you for indulging me and for watching them so that i have two more people to gush about these shows with (laughs) Uh, one final bit about um legendary and pose that that i also just really really adored was how um that that same 
um, universal uplift that you saw amongst the contestants on Legendary. I, I love how that was the exact same way the relationship between the houses in Pose was also portrayed. And so I feel like that that there's like a 30-year gap between the the um, times that, that like Pose is set in and, and Legendary or where it takes place today. Like I feel like it just shows how strong and how um, embracing the trans community and the queer community are. Um, and I feel like that is, it's almost radical how much love that they have for each other and how much support that they have for each other, even though, like, as as Pose also goes into, there are rivalries and complicated feelings between each other. But then when it comes to um, lifting one another up, like, when it's really, really important, everybody does come together. And so I feel like there, there's also just so much to learn from that. When I watch these shows, I'm challenged... Um, or I feel challenged to just like be a better person and to be a more open person, to be a more loving person overall. So, um, yeah. I think with that, we should move on to final judgments. Do you want to kick it off, Ezra? Both essential. You have to watch them both if you want to have a good time. You want to feel good about yourself? You're having a bad day? You watch these shows. They will... They will supercharge your heart. Oh, I don't even know if I'm making sense. <laughs> They're wonderful shows. I 100% agree. <laughs> so I, I will say, like, I love Pose so much. They're both essential. Like, let's just get that out of the way. But I will say, if you would like to watch a show that removes all the drama and story and just leaves behind glitz, glamour, and athleticism, watch Legendary because your jaw will be on the floor every single episode. You will be in awe of every single talented individual and their truly remarkable skills. Again, I shall say, someone crawls up a wall and has a backflip in stripper heels. Both essential, but watch Legendary, really. <laughs> Legendary also, it, the first episode is streaming for free on YouTube and HBO Max offers a one week free trial which is more than enough time to watch the nine hours that is the show Netflix features a one month free trial and it is 18 total episodes of Pose so you can definitely do 18 hours in one month <laughs> yeah we didn't talk about that but I do like how the shows are short runs like both of them we're not talking about 22 like episode seasons here, which also makes it more bingeable and more essential in my opinion. Yeah, we understand that times are hard and who's paying attention to anything. So these are definitely easier to digest because they're shorter. Yes. And then finally, um, if, if you really liked Legendary and you really liked Pose and you also wanna learn a little bit more about ball culture, Legendary, one of the great things that I think they did in terms of promotion and also further education is that they've got these great interstitials. You can find them on YouTube and they're also linked to in HBO Max where every week Deshaun Wesley will break down Vogue vocabulary, some of the jargon that's specific to ball culture, but also um, 
some words and phrases that you may be familiar with just from how much they've per, um, they've invaded normal pop culture. You, you'll recognize how they tie back to ball culture and the elements of Vogue where he breaks down the dancing even further. So it's just more education. And that wraps up another episode of The Essentials. Thanks for listening and see you next time. If you've liked what you've heard, please leave us a rating or review on the platform of your choice. Tens only. (laughs) Tens across the board.